I was, I was thinking about, as I was preparing for tonight, I was originally, like I said, this morning, I was originally going to do more and figured out I bit off more than I could do, so I, I, I chopped it down a little bit. Um, I was originally going to combine the ideas of simplicity, silence, and solitude all together into one. Because um, they're all related. They all kind of revolve around the same sort of idea. Um, but to be honest with you, silence and solitude are more like twins and simplicity like a cousin. They're related, but silence and solitude really belong together and simplicity belongs uh, by itself. And so tonight, your bulletin is wrong. It says the discipline of simplicity. We're going to talk about silence and solitude, and then we'll deal with simplicity later. Um, there is a, there's a passage in Ecclesiastes where the preacher says, Do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Now, if you know me for very long, you know that I am, I have this like split personality. When I get in front of a group of people, I can talk on and on and on. Put me alone with one individual, and I have no clue what to say. I've always been, it doesn't matter how many. I mean, I'm the guy that spoke at high school graduation. Thousands of people, and no problem. A little nervous beforehand, but you know. When you're 18, you're about to speak to a couple thousand people, you get nervous. But, no problem put me one-on-one with someone, and it's like, I don't have a clue what to say. For me, the idea of standing before God in one sense terrifies me, because what in the world do you say to him? On the other hand, when I'm quiet and I listen to him, I figure out I don't need to say much at all, that he has a lot to say to me. When we talk about the disciplines of silence and solitude, what we're really talking about is putting away things that so often distract us. Silence is the idea of not talking, right? It's specific, though. It's, it's that we don't talk for a specific amount of time. This isn't prayer where you come to God and you say, God, thank you for this day, God. Thank you for everything you've given us, God. Here are all my requests, God. And you just start blabbing them off. In Jesus' name, amen. And, and you walk away from God. That's not, that's, that's not silence. Silence isn't just you don't utter words with your mouth. Silence is you actually stop trying to communicate to God and seek his voice to hear what he wants to communicate to you. Solitude is a lot like it. It's getting away from other people. You know, I love y'all. Y'all are great. But everybody needs alone time, right? I'm the type of guy that, man, I, I, I crave time by myself. I am introverted and I work in customer service. <laughs> I need. there are some days when I get home and I just don't want to see another human being for six months I mean I am, I, am, I am ready to get away from some folks there's something about being alone and being quiet because these two really work best together there's something about that that makes it easier to draw near to God and that's what we're going to talk about tonight Jesus did this uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 35, rising early in the morning. 
while it was still dark, the Lord, uh, excuse me, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Jesus found time before anybody else got up. One passage said that while it was still dark, that Christ went alone. There was a, there was a period where, um, in fact, it's in, this, it's in the passage of this verse. The whole town comes and is right outside the, the house where Jesus is staying because they want him. They want him to teach them. They want him to heal them. They want him to do all kinds of different miracles, cast out demons, all kinds of things. So before the sun comes up, it's in those pre-dawn hours where like it's like kind of sort of bright, but not really, like you can kind of get your senses of where you're going. Before anybody else wakes up, Jesus gets up, sneaks out of the house, past this crowd, and he goes alone to pray. And it's not long before they come and find him and his time is up, but that's what he does. Matthew 4. Jesus is about to start his earthly ministry. He has been baptized, and it says that in Matthew 4, verse 1, that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights to be tempted by the devil. Now notice, he's not led by the devil. The temptation isn't to go off by yourself. The temptation isn't to go somewhere else and get away from people for a while. It's not a vacation that he's taking. God's Holy Spirit, it, it's, and it's kind of interesting too, when you read the end of Matthew. Matthew, go ahead and turn there. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew 3, look right at the end. So, verse 16 says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. The next thing we see that Holy Spirit do is lead him into the wilderness. But then look when he comes out. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Ah, I lost it. Where'd it go? I lost where it was. I thought it, I thought it referred to him being full of the power of the Spirit, but I'm not seeing it. I might be mixing up passages. If so, I'm sorry. I think I'm mixing up passages. I apologize for that. But right after he comes out, he, he immediately starts preaching. He, um, he fulfills a passage uh, that was written uh, in the prophets, and then he, he starts preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the next thing that he does is he shows two, uh, there's two scenes that give us an idea of that message of repentance and the, the nearness of the kingdom of God. One is the disciples uh, uh, leaving their nets immediately to follow Jesus. That's a picture of repentance, that we drop everything to follow Christ when he calls us. And the, the second is the nearness of the kingdom. He is going around the region and he is healing people and, and people are coming from all over to see him and he's, he's casting out demons and he's healing lame and blind and sick and all kinds of stuff, doing all kinds of different miracles all the while preaching about the kingdom of heaven. And then chapter 5, verse 1, he starts the Sermon on the Mount. So, I mean, he comes out definitely, even though I can't find, I can't find specifically where the scripture says he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's obvious that he's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit because he comes out kicking demon rear ends and taking names. Uh, he, he comes out fighting uh, uh, the, the divine battles, so to speak. There's something about that silence 
that solitude. There's something about that time that empowered Jesus not only to resist the temptation, but to fulfill the mission that he was called to do. The Bible tells us a lot of times to sit down and be quiet when it comes to God. Habakkuk 2.20, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Psalm 46, we quote this a lot, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Now we focus on be still, but I want you to think of a ladder. If you want to get to the knowing God step, you got a first step on the being still step. Being still is the means to knowing. Otherwise, you don't stop long enough to know he's God. Otherwise, there's too many distractions. Otherwise, there's too much noise and too many things to, to, to keep your focus off of him. Remember when uh, Elijah defeats the 450 prophets of Baal on top of Mount Carmel. Man, he is, he is, he is, he is it right there, right? And then, and then Jezebel finds out and she threatens his life. What does he do? He runs away like a scaredy cat. 1 Kings 19. <laughs> He's complaining to God. God, you called me to stand and I'm the only one of your prophets left. I'm the only one. Just, just, just take my life away from me. This is, this is too bad. Dude, you just, you just showed incredible faith and now, now you're buckling because a woman's mad at you. Obviously he wasn't married. He'd have been used to it by now, right? No, I'm kidding. Kidding. But so he comes to a cave and he, he lodges in it and God comes to him and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now this is the second time he's asked. And Elijah says, I've been very jealous for the Lord. God opposed the people of Israel. I've forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am the only one left and they seek my life. Here, let me play you a song, Elijah. <laughs> a little sad tune on my small violin here. But we sometimes get like that, don't we? Notice what God says. Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Can you imagine a wind so strong that it's breaking apart the rocks? Man, that's some wind. I've seen winds snap pine trees and, and, and bend palms like crazy. I have never seen wind tear up a rock. But it says the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it. Now, how did Elijah hear a whisper? He had to be listening for it. That's what silence and solitude do for us. And that's why Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I'm God. Some people will translate this something like, cease striving and know that I'm God. And that's okay as far as it goes, but I think this actually goes further. Because the idea here isn't just to stop all of your efforts, it's also to stop all of your sins. It's not only to stop all the work you're doing, it's also to stop the bad work you're also doing. It's to completely be still before God. You tell Brantley to be still and he wiggles all over the place. He, he can't stay still. That's how we try to be still often, isn't it? We wiggle around. We think about other things. Oh, well, you know, I got dinner to worry about or you know, I've got to catch up on this work. I've got a mountain of, of paperwork to do. You know, tax season's coming up and 
or whatever the case may be, we we focus on the yard needing cutting. We focus on having to pick up kids in a couple hours or run these certain errands or refill prescriptions. Whatever the case may be, we wiggle when it's time to be still. Austin Phelps wrote a book in 1859. It was called The Still Hour. He writes this. We may lay it down as an elemental principle of religion that no large growth in holiness was ever gained by one who did not take time to be often long alone with God. Often long alone. I think of the woman, Susanna Wesley. We sang Charles Wesley's hymn. Charles was a, a son of Susanna's. Susanna had so many kids. I mean, she was... She was the old woman who lived in a shoe. She had so many kids, she didn't know what to do. I mean, she had kids all over the place. I think it was like 13 or 15, something like that. I mean, just a massively large family. She couldn't get along. She didn't have personal retreats. There was no me time for Susanna Wesley. So you know what she did? She took her apron and she covered her head. That was her getting alone. <laughs> With that many kids around, that's all you can do, right? She made the best of what she had. I think we need to be willing to get away. It might only be for a few minutes. It might just be under an apron. It might be that we take a day or several days, but we need to get away. Oh, but you don't know all the responsibilities I have. Yeah, I don't. But I know this. When I get away, those are the times that God does his best work in me. Donald Whitney wrote a book called Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life. He, he gives several reasons. I'm just going to read these reasons to you real quick because I think, I think they're worth noting. He says we, we, we practice silence and solitude to follow Jesus' example. He did it. So should we. To hear the voice of God better. Without all the distractions, it's easier to hear his voice. To express worship to God. Sometimes you just need to get alone just to Praise him. And by the way, often that worship is what leads to hearing his voice better. To express faith in God. You ever have something where you, you just feel like there is no way that I can possibly do this? A guy named Hudson Taylor can agree with you. Hudson Taylor was, um, well, he was praying. He knew God wanted him to do something that nobody had really ever done before. In that day, there were missions in China. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China. But everybody was on the coast. Because that's where, there was just big cities full of people along the coast. And so you went to the coast. It was easy to get to. Uh, there was a fruitful harvest right there. And so there was tons of missionary activity right on the coast. But nobody had ventured in. I mean, nobody. For decades, missionaries had focused on the coast. But Hudson Taylor knew God was calling him inward. He talked to some folks. He prayed about it. He, he, tried to, he tried to do everything he could, but he just couldn't. It just wasn't working. He was still wrestling over this. How, how is this going to happen? If I'm going to get, if I and other guys are going to go inland into China, that's going to be a whole host of problems. There are tons of remote villages in there. And it's going to be really hard to get a lot of people. It's going to take a lot of work. 
And not only that, it's going to take a lot of provisions for missionaries to have the funds they need to be able to do that work, to provide for their families. He knew that burden would sit on his shoulders and finally he was, he was praying to God. And finally, in the silence and solitude, he said it was like a light went off. If God is calling then these burdens are on his shoulders. The responsibility is his, not mine. Sometimes we need to get away and be quiet for a while just so we can recognize that God really does have this. He doesn't need my input. He doesn't need my suggestions. Boy, that's hard for a guy like me. I love to make suggestions, but he doesn't need that. We should practice silence and solitude to seek the salvation of the Lord. Not only, not only for ourselves in particular situations we face, but for others who need it. For non-Christians. In fact, non-Christians should practice silence before the Lord. Spurgeon writes this. He said, Most people have seen themselves in a looking glass, but there is another looking glass, which gives true reflections into which few men look. To study oneself in the light of God's word, to carefully go over one's condition, examining both the inward and the outward sins, and using all the tests which are given us in the scriptures would be a very healthy exercise. But how very few care to go through it. To help us, uh, uh, Whitney says, to come to the reality of our sin, our death, judgment, themes that are frequently drowned out by the out of our consciousness by the sounds of everyday life. We need to encourage seekers, he says, to get more alone with God. It does a lot of good to consider yourself in silence before him. To be physically and spiritually restored. You know, sometimes just getting away from everything just provides rest. Sometimes it's what gives you that extra boost of energy to do God's work. Sometimes... Sometimes, let's just face it, we need physical rest. And we're not going to be much good of God until we get some. To regain a spiritual perspective. To stop being inundated with everything around us. And to look with God's eyes at our situation. Whitney says there's no better way to step back and get a more balanced, less worldly perspective on matters than through the discipline of silence and solitude. By the way, if you do not, if, if you have not read Donald Whitney's Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life, I hope you see, I'm quoting him a lot here for a reason. He's nailing it on the head. Think about Zachariah. Zachariah's priest. He's chosen by Lot to go in and offer sacrifices one day, and the angel comes to him while he's offering these sacrifices, while he's offering these, this uh, uh, fragrance offering before God. And while he's burning this incense, Angel comes up and says, your wife's going to have a baby. And Zachariah's like, you're joking me, right? We're old. I can just picture it now. He says, I'm old. And the angel says, and I'm Gabriel. So what? This is what God says. And since you don't believe me, you're going to be quiet until she has the baby. And he comes out and he can't speak. Now, if it was me, I know what I'd be thinking about a lot until that baby was born, don't you? That silence gave Zachariah a chance to really figure out how much in control God is. At the end of it, 
they ask, what's the baby's name going to be? And, and, and Mama says, it's John. And they're like, but nobody's named John. Let's name him after Zachariah. Zachariah gets this tablet and writes on it. His name is John. I bet he puts an exclamation point on the end. And as soon as he does that, he starts talking. And what's the first thing he says? He starts praising God. Isn't it amazing how sometimes when we shut up, when we do talk, it's so much more meaningful. There are some guys that I know that don't say, I don't know, 25 words a day. But man, you want to hear what those 25 words are. Y'all know, y'all know people like that? I know people like that. We practice silence and solitude, Whitney says, to seek the will of God. You know, God, sometimes his will, it's not that he doesn't want you to know it, but sometimes he wants to shape you in the process of getting to know it. And sometimes it takes us being quiet before him, before he really, before he really gets us to the place. He really shapes us enough to say, all right, now you can, now I'm going to reveal it to you. We practice silence and solitude so we can learn to control our tongues. Remember I said we're always in control of our tongue. The problem is the heart. Now, this gets at the heart. So by the time we do talk, by the time we are around people, our presence is good and not just evil. Because we've been in God's presence. So how do I do this? Well, shut up. <laughs> That's, I understand some of you work, uh, and you can't, you can't be quiet at work. Farrell, I don't know how you manage without talking. I don't know what would be what you would do without talking to your folks. I, that that your shift is hard enough without doing that. Okay, in my work, I'm constantly around the public. They've been they keep putting me up front, so I've been doing a lot of front shifts, which means I'm in front of the public. I have to talk, but there are times when we can step away, where we cannot talk, where we can choose not to say anything unless we know that it's God ordained. Get away. Maybe it's under an apron. Maybe it's by yourself for a couple of hours. When I'm in the car, sometimes I have something on. I'll listen to a podcast or some music. Sometimes I just keep everything off. Take little index cards with the verse that you might be trying to memorize or, or, or something that you read from that morning. And just read it over and over again while you're at that red light. Ask God to speak to you. Sometimes it means actually getting away. It means staying somewhere for several hours or for an overnight trip or even a couple of days. I know a pastor who will, once a year, he will go off for two or three nights away from home. He'll take, he'll take basic essentials, a Bible and a notebook and enough clothes and toiletries to, to not smell like a homeless person by the time he comes back. That's all he does. He goes off for a few days, and it's in that time that God opens up what the next year will look like for preaching and, and for church, the mission of the church and how to go about pursuing that. You don't have a, a year worth of sermons to plan when you go away, but that's okay. It could be that you need to know, God, what do you want me to work on? What are the big areas of my life that need change? What, what are you leading me to do that I'm not doing right now? Or that maybe I'm doing it, but you want me to do differently. You want me to do in a different way. Who might you want me to invest in, to disciple? All good things to be praying about 
and to get away to seek his will for him. There might be a special place for you. It's a park down the street. Just somewhere where a room where you can just focus on God. Maybe. Maybe it's that you call up a friend and say, hey, look, I really need some time. Is there any way you can take care of this for a couple of days? I'm going to tell you something. You want to make a mama happy? Offer her some time to herself. Just her and God. Say, hey, I got the kids. I'm going to take care of the kids for a while. You go spend some time with God. She'll say, no, I can't do that to you, and all this kind of stuff. But then, but then afterwards, she'll be really happy with you. We had, when I was, um, when Carrie had Savannah, the church that we were at, one of the ladies came up, knocked on the door. I, I knew she was coming over to bring food. What I didn't know was that she was going to stay for a little while. She stayed for a little while. You know what she did? She washed dishes. Now, when you have a new baby in the house, things are hectic enough as it is. Then you've got a sink full of dishes. you got clothes all over the place because dad's a bum. And he, he, he doesn't do as much as he should. Just an hour of basic housework made so much difference for her. And that lady made me swear never to tell who it was. My point in all this is that we can find time to get away. Be silent before God. So, let's find some time now. For the next few minutes, we're going to be silent. You may need to, to you, may be, you may have something on your heart that you just need to bring before God. I know we all, we all can find something. It may be that God has been leading you to do something that you haven't been doing or that you maybe have been doing but just not quite in the same way that he wants you to. It may be that you haven't spent any time really worshiping at his feet in quite a while. Like, you know, you may be singing the songs or whatever, but there's just, you really haven't adored him, whatever that is. We're going to take a few minutes, and you'll have the chance now. So for just a little while, we'll be quiet. And then in a few minutes, I'll say a brief prayer to close us. Let's be silent. During this part of the service, we took some time to stop and be silent before the Lord. That silence is important for all of us. If you are in a position right now where you can stop and be silent before the Lord, let me encourage you to do that. You can pause here if you want, or you can just listen to the rest of this podcast and pause when you do have the opportunity. But being silent before God is a great way to hear his voice, to know him better, to present the things going on before him and to trust him to do his work in your life. So let me encourage you to stop and hear what God has to say. Experience his presence. Lord, you are God in heaven and we are here on earth. So may our words be few. May we take time to be silent and alone before you, that we may be more godly, that we may be more receptive to your voice, that we may be better able to do your will. Thank you for being a God who draws near to us. Help us to draw near to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.